You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hello, Riverdale gang. Hi, gang. I'm back. Yields. Another weekend of Riverdale with Chloe and Ryan in this critical commentary watch-along podcast, Riverdale gang. Welcome back. Welcome. We are recording on, and Riverdale is shot on the unseated uh, territory of the Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish peoples. Mm-hmm. Um, you said weekend. This is a weekday. I don't... What is... Reality is a concept. Time... None of it. None of it's... <laughs> none of it's real. We also are joined by Tazzy, who I'm sure will meow at some point, but at the moment she's just drooling. Me, 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 me. Me, no, me, no. Well, it's been an interesting couple of weeks for Riverdale. Hasn't it? I... The, they've sort of re- reset the 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 table the yes. chessboard quite <laughs> aggressively reset the table i like that like very waspy like um <laughs> the table has been reset speaking of waspy we're cuddling in stoles right now yes i inherit i would do don't believe in um killing uh animals for their pelts particularly um but I inherited two fur stoles from my grandmother, um, and I imagine these animals were killed before um, the economy learned how to hunt fur sustainably. Well, given the era, they may actually have just been purchased from local regional hunters rather than actually fully farmed like a lot of contemporary uh, uh, furs, which can be deeply horrible yeah um it should be said that only white people don't really seem to know how to deal with furs properly indigenous people have been doing it sustainably for millennia i mean we have this bad eurocentric idea of hyper monetizing centralizing capitalizing and profiteering everything i don't know if that is exactly eurocentric but um uh we seem to excel at it we definitely excel at it euro heritage folks um Anyway, they're really cozy. They are really cozy. Um, so here we are with a purring live <laughs> fur animal as well as two fur objects. Yes. Cuddled up for some noir. Yeah. This is a very noir episode. Yeah. Um, like complete with the lighting and a hat. No one smokes. I mean, I'm, I can roll with that in contemporary aesthetics. Yeah. I don't even remember any smokiness. There's no like... Mm-hmm. I, I, right, Tazzy? Um, As he agrees, no smoke. I attribute smokiness very much to the genre. Mm. Um, it, it, I, yes, it was crisp. Yeah. Um, I don't know enough noir um, to really deconstruct this episode, but I know um, I've, I've spent a few days on set uh, filming with cinematographers who were trying to parody and reference noir, at very least, um, running those sets. And um, I remember camera tricks like putting a stocking over the lens, hmm. um, intentionally soft focus uh, for intense close-ups. Um, the, the more jarring things um, that really um, obfuscate the view, that really blur and diffuse, I didn't see used this episode. Um, but I was just commenting on how there is noir storytelling, but not necessarily visual cues when we snapped into some black and white flashbacks, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. was sufficient for me, um, for me to, to sign on board with, um, you know, what's being coded to us. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I see how there's a lot of missing potential. They didn't go full visual noir the way they go full, you know, Twin Peaksy visual. 
Um, but I think they they created an extremely twisty narrative. Yeah. Um, once again, I don't have enough sp- experience with noir and mystery storytelling to, you know, I suspect there's things I'm missing in this. There's always a twist I find in noir films, mm-hmm. and there are a few twists in this, but there's always twists in Riverdale. Mm-hmm. Uh, narration is a big part of noir. Having a voiceover narrator. Mm-hmm. So, um, and a femme mm-hmm. fatale who comes into the office, like Veronica does in this. Yep. Um, there's always an affair and a woman on the side. It's a bit boring in that sense, but right, very binary gender sexuality tropes seem pretty rooted and entrenched uh, in all the iterations I bumped into. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see a, a queer lens noir. I'm sure they exist. I mean, hints of um, uh, characters like Renee Montoya and Batwoman in some of the comic book um, aesthetics in the last 10 years. They've been noirish, but much more in the edgy thriller action psychological territory, I think, Mm -hmm. Um, rather than that lovely, lovely vintage that we leaned into today, right down to the costuming, like exquisite costuming today. Yeah. The gun with the the chamber and the... Mm -hmm. I mean, all guns have chambers. That's not what I mean. Yeah, but that, those clock, old makes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, the theming and the period was hard. I mean, Smithers with bayonets. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> what war was Smithers fighting in where he needed the bayonet at the end of his musket? And he's still alive. All time is now, Chloe. What is reality? Nothing is. Everything is. Mm-hmm. Riverdale. Everything is Riverdale. Um... Yeah, I was. I enjoyed who we were with today. Um, I was kind of here for the the anchoring back to the big four. Um, I liked seeing Josie as slightly more than a bit player, um, sort of influencing things a bit. Yeah, uh, give 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 the girl more screen time. Um, uh, hints of Cheryl, hints of Tony. They're floating around the world. Not perfectly satisfactory, but I loved the um, continued trend of our characters making questionable choices. And then playing out some consequences. Hmm. Um, the stakes in this in this episode felt very reset for me as well. Um, I know Andrew and I talked a lot last week about how um, the stakes felt all over the place with high school plot SATs. Yeah. Um, but also that for the first time the show seemed to notice that everything high school was so absurd in this world they're now living in. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought some of the shots of, of Archie's al- burgeoning alcoholism um, were visually displayed in some creative ways, especially at the end of last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that we picked that thread up with the trauma dealing. Yeah, I'm interested in this version of Riverdale where people start dealing with their trauma. Mm-hmm. I also like some of Penelope's arc in this episode. This, I'm a little annoyed mm-hmm. still that like sex work is evil. Yep, but at least she was given a touch of um, uh, uh, a moral ambiguity and a queer, um, sort of a not not horrible equivocation, a comparison with our with Betty. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like their character arcs were tied together more closely this episode than they than they have properly been, even though they butted heads before. Yeah. Their their personalities and their their trauma were sort of put side by side, and their actions. And I really I really enjoyed that um, that foil role. Um, I thought 
each um, each of our our four teenagers was matched well with an adversary this episode. Yeah, I, I loved the final punch as well of Jughead's adversary when we get to that closing scene. Yeah, um, there's a lot to like this one. Any, yeah. Any other thoughts, Chloe? I, I've rambled a lot uh, tonight before we jump on into the uh, the watch along bit. I am ready to jump in. Excellent. I enjoyed this episode not quite as much as I did last week, but I did enjoy mm. this episode a lot. So let's jump. Let, let us indeed. While well, I swallow my sip of coffee, uh, ready for the watch along portion, gang? Got your Netflix all queued up for the Badoom. Ready in the badoom in badoom. No, I borked that. I borked that, gang. I hit a button. I screwed buttons up. What is timing? <laughs> Reset with me, gang. Okay, I will do the Warner Brothers singing if you will do the Thank badooming. you. Ready, gang? Badoom. I, I sort of milked my badoom this time. <laughs> How did you feel about the tall boy reveal? Um, fell flat for me last week, worked for me this week. I liked how they used it. I liked, um, this episode was, uh, to me showed some strong, smart plotting and some strong use, uh, use of, of old character, um, threads and beats. Um, even, even like Tallboy's ultimate end here, uh, I was kind of for it. It it felt like a, um, a letdown with his Gargoyle King reveal to mm-hmm. me. But he wound up playing a more interesting role in this episode yeah. than he ever did alive. <laughs> True. <laughs> so here we are. We've got like some saxophone in the soundtrack. Mm. Archie's even wearing like, or Archie, sorry. Jughead is like wearing his suspenders properly, which I've never seen him do. <laughs> uh, his, it's funny, his cap stood out so much for me this episode like just maybe perhaps the coordination of his outfit that sort of waffle knit sweater his outfits consistently um yeah i saw the crown of it somehow more it might be harder silhouetting harder contrast lights doing it too yeah i love that like fp is sheriff is like both sheriff and dad in this moment Mm-hmm. While still being gang boss on several other levels yeah. floating around. Also, that body is fucking ripe. Excuse me. Is bloody ripening. <laughs> Why can't he smell it? Is it a deep freeze? I'm confused. It, it's sort of winter and they're underground. It's kind of a cold room, but he should still smell the rot. <laughs> oh, well. We don't have smell of vision so. Yeah. I'm I'm here for these Hannibal Lecter scenes. Somehow I'm enjoying Hal Cooper's presence and it's it's almost upsetting me <laughs> that that they flipped this. Yeah. But he's so unapologetically evil now and like I'm here for that dissection moral quandary. I am like it just feels like Betty's arguing with the patriarchy and moral ambiguity all the time. <laughs> like he's just vocalizing the horrors of society that have been entrenched around and upon her. Um, and we just get this really lovely dichotomy between them. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying this. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying this, although I don't like the writing of his dialogue specifically. Mm. I'm not enjoying that. It's very like, hello, I am evil. It's pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty kind of starkly black 
um, committed philosophy, uh, but he's delivering it with this... Something about his delivery really appeals to me. Um, it's not Anthony Hopkins referential, despite all the setup. He's yeah. just sitting calmly and flatly in his in his mess. Yeah. There's something really powerful about this character now that was never there before for me. Um, yeah. and, and I want to say that as a villain, um, I really enjoyed the blooming of our adults as villains this episode. Yeah. Um, this was more of a villain growth reveal episode in the like, I want to draw more Batman reference illusions where the rogues gallery is among the most interesting thing about it. Um, mm. I got such Poison Ivy vibes from Penelope this episode, especially. Yeah. Um, and notable that Poison Ivy, uh, as, a, a, as a bisexual character, as uh, an eco-terrorist, as a gray moral terrorist, uh, um, and as ultimately a, a, an anti-hero character much more often than she uh, was ever written to be or intended to be, um, I might be stretching for Penelope nuance for what the show is actually doing. But, meanwhile, Archie's rock bottom. Yeah, this is like rock bottom because you're terrible. <laughs> um, also, I'm just I've been been enjoying out. like Steveston in the background here. <laughs> Steveston is a small town outside of Vancouver that is basically just all, every small mm -hmm. town in North America on camera. Yeah, but I recognize the river. You do. Mm. That's the the Fraser. It's pretty. It's pretty. Speaking of pretty. Yeah, those are serious flowers. And the slide of stakes. Veronica is just fully in charge of a, a gang now by default. Yeah. But like, it's still a it's still a quiet secession fight here between her and her mom, and the dogs at the gate. Yeah. Also, that is a very 1940s cut dress she's currently wearing. <laughs> to say nothing of his hairdo. Also, he her hair's curled a little more than it normally is. Mm, yeah, 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 that wave. Yeah. It's not quite 40s, though. I mean, when she slaps that gorgeous hat on it. Yeah. It's... The silhouette in the office window. Yeah. It's, yep. See, there's there's a whiff of Smokey. Um, yeah. No more than the show is already kind of leaning into in their aesthetic. They didn't yeah. They didn't dial it up any further, maybe. I would argue that the background is a bit soft and smoky, but... Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Could, could be more. It blended into what's already present in the Riverdale aesthetic for me. It didn't stand out as anything different on first watch. I, I wonder... Sorry. Mm -hmm. Go for it. I was going to say, I wonder... Um, if one of the reasons they don't have any cigarettes is because they have no cigarette sponsors, no tobacco sponsors. I mean, that's reverse engineering how cigarettes got there in the first place. That would make some sense. <laughs> um, it's also, I think, just a general standards and practice practices thing right now, not to show smoking is cool over the last 30 years. Um, oh. And it's also worth observing that these are all still children. Yes. 16 and 17. Um, I mean, how old were you when you had your first cigarette? I mean, fair point. I think I was probably 17 the first time I tried smoking. Um, 
But I don't think this is a gritty coming of age story That's that true. will that will seriously handle that journey. <laughs> He's wearing his suspenders correctly again. It's charming. Yeah, it's a vintage choice. I mean, over the button up is also a choice when you have that underlayer. But anyway, why is that? What? That's when you. That's when you go- wear suspenders. Oh. I mean, it depends, like, probably stylistically on how you feel like doing the things. Anyway. Hmm. Um, I need to suspend her more. Clearly, I, I, clearly I, have, I have purple area uh, growth opportunities in my suspender knowledge. <laughs> um, I own three pairs. I've just never worn them myself. Just costumed other people. Fair oh. enough. Yeah, everything's kind of this nice done color, this, like, like mm-hmm. almost black like it's not black and white obviously but it's like mm-hmm. still sepia tone it's very very saturated but it's not vibrant mm-hmm. yeah like yeah i like it um i'm noticing the hermione jughead dichotomy more on second watch mm-hmm. uh it it slipped under the radar for me on first watch actually uh oh, really? the 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 sort of final punch tension that they were building towards between those two um, it snuck up on me a little bit. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about this scene. Hmm. I, I think I'm, I'm here for seeing an example of Fred maybe not being a perfect parent. Yeah. He's not perfect. He's also mad, I imagine. I yeah. love this, like, nearly empty funeral. Yeah. With Tony looking so annoyed <laughs> in leather. Mourn with us, cousin. How many Cheryl... funerals has have Betty and Cheryl hung out in this room? Yeah, but also, like, how much is Cheryl mourning? She seems to be celebrating. Largely. I guess. And, like, can't blame her. Like, Mm. Yeah, Nana Rose. Keeping it real. Seeing right through everything, Nana Rose. Uh, Oh my gosh, her puff sleeves. I just noticed those. Mm, Any excuse for a little flare. I I really enjoyed this um, little snapback to to season one Cheryl. um, Spider brooch, the morning wear. But with this fresh, different attitude... Um, this commentary of how she now sees her father a year later, I also really loved this, um, sort of emotional note revisiting in the broader theme of revisiting and remembering and continuing the progress of people's old traumas that, um, I don't know how intentional it is, but the show's stumbling through this year, this season. He's, you know, he's not wrong about that, Jughead. Yeah, the the body will smell, Jug. Yeah, <laughs> taking in a very obvious way. Also, like, how stupid are you to get someone who accidentally killed someone to guard the body? Like, that is bound to mess them up. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of psychological processing that Sweet Pea and, and uh, Fangs are not getting to do on screen. Um... I re- I, how'd you feel about this scene? I thought it was a dumb move, but I understood where Veronica was coming from. Um, and I can also see how um, 
in this circumstance, uh, a staffer of questionable loyalty who is already looking for concessions may not be who you want guarding your back anyway. Yes, fair enough. Um, yeah. And like mobsplain. <laughs> That's a beautiful word. <laughs> Due respect. I, I thought that was very foolish, but maybe... I, I, I do enjoy Veronica making the clear choice to take charge here and doing it um, in the way she has clearly learned from her father. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy seeing the contrasting strategies that Hermione and Veronica take yeah. with managing here. They feel so different. Like, I almost generational. I don't want to project too hard here, but the choices and strategies that each of these women take to run a crime organization, a competing crime organization. Um, Smithers. Oh, Smithers is growing on me. May he be here forever. Her bayonets. Just... This is the first time we've seen Veronica sit behind something that seems like a desk and interview people. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm this sure is that's intentional. She had to be boss here, right? Mm-hmm. And and boss, boss. And like, I see how two loyal lieutenants are better than you know four in question. Um. So I had peeked at the credits, and this woman who plays uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, mistress the mistress is, in fact, um, Mark Consuelo's real wife. Oh, <laughs> Kelly <you> Ripa. <laughs> well called. Yeah. Well called. She's a very distinctive voice. Right. I I remember her name so distinctively, but I never actually watched any of her talk show or interviewing work much. Yeah. I was a bit young um, or hosting work. Well, she's still hosting. Hmm. Well, I don't own a television anymore, Chloe. <laughs> well, yeah, but you own the internet. Well, you don't own it. <laughs> I live amongst it. I like. I wonder if that's a little like subtle reference to Canada having the maple leaf. I I, I just took it as another blossom thing. Yeah, I guess so. It's just so distinctively Canadian, the red maple leaf. I always read it as New England, actually. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, no, fair point. Fair point. This may be my blindness within Canada, where, weirdly, in Alberta, maple syrup's not actually a huge deal. No, I'm talking about the leaf. <laughs> oh. The the one that's on our flag. Ryan. Yeah. Was there a visual reference that I missed, or just the name? Yeah, on the door. Mm. There's a little red maple leaf on the door. I missed that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good talk. Good talk. So, representation of sex workers. Varied. I mean, like, the, the pay-up... The F you pay me attitude is mm-hmm. on point as far as my very, very minimal experience with sex workers goes. Mm-hmm. Um, Questionable ethics of identifying clients and people, but meh. Um, I enjoyed business Penelope just kind of sweeping in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I enjoyed how she framed this club. Like... Yeah, private clubs are like normal and like most of them aren't that seedy. I've been in two. Mm-hmm. And you can't do anything unless you pay big, you know, Hmm. which is how capitalism operates. (laughs) I also like that she says that women, these women aren't victims. They are working. Mm -hmm. And it's 
they gave her weight for those words this episode mm-hmm. um, that she hasn't had sort of since she introduced the the concept of escorting last season. Mm-hmm. Really. And she's still fundamentally like, they didn't, like, they don't quite come down on the, this is a hard woman who's had a hard life. Mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. they still come down on the is she evil or isn't she side well for me like I, I i felt myself really pulled to to enjoy penelope to root for her um and had to remind myself that um she sent cheryl off to conversion camp oh yeah um bad. which um which puts her comfortably in morally ambiguous villain anti-hero character tore me for me right now yes she's done fundamentally unforgivable things yes to my eyes but she's also um like i see where that came from in crisis and anger and disaster choice and how in her day-to-day she's making relatively healthy responsible choices um from a from a good ethical grounding that she enjoys escorting Side note, killer outfit on Josie, and she sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. So much. I really enjoyed how Melancampy um, Archie got to be in this scene. Melancampy. And how just... I imagine that's not a reference to John <laughs> Mellencamp, but a, a portmanteau of campy and melancholy. No, actually, it's the first. Really? <laughs> what is Melancampy? Tell me. Um. See, I only know it through the lens of glee. So um, I have I have the same view of John Mellencamp as Kurt Hummel does basically that it is um um old hey, labor that, Americana do we angst. Know the the heavy here the bouncer no we don't okay. I don't recognize he, he him though no. like uh, Andy Toff for a second no yes definitely not <laughs> uh, I enjoyed Josie's approach to drunk management and I enjoyed her unapologetic straight to action. Yes, I'm annoyed that she is only given plot by proximity to this maiden white character. Yes, she only acts to fix Archie. And she does. And then maybe they have some chemistry or something. Because Archie falls in love with black women who help him. Yes. Actually, Archie falls in love with all women who help him. But especially black musicians. It does seem that way. <sighs> Patterns. Ooh. I enjoyed this, Veronica. If you heard a little rumble there it may have been the cat um nosing and or purring the mic we'll discover that in post we're not sure what the cat just did a little uh little surprise her little naughty self (laughs) tazzy has attitude i like tazzy's attitude i wish tazzy loved me but i wish that about most cats (laughs) she loves you this is just her way of showing love Uh uh-huh i have to say reggie looks smoking hot in that suit and that hat I enjoyed, Hello, Nikolai. Hi. This was a fun scene. This yes. this was a fun um the doctor caught off guard moment. Um I really enjoy this hyper competent um this pattern of co investigation that Betty and Jughead are so comfortably in now. Mm-hmm. It feels like such an established dynamic. Um I believe how good they're getting at it, and I love it. Um to the point that I've forgotten that we're talking about all these multiple murder investigations being undertaken by 17-year-olds in a lawless failed state that is somehow isolated and removed from America? 
Yeah. Or I, something. I want, like, I want someone to show up in Riverdale to demonstrate how wonky it is. <laughs> just a normal person who just got lost or is running low on gas. And... By the way, lemon, ginger, and cayenne is what I take when I have a cold with a little hot sauce. It burns so much. Yeah. I just, I hate it precious. I... One of the first times I took it, I really loaded it up. A lot of cayenne, a lot of hot sauce, a lot of ginger. And my ears literally, like, the inside of them hurt. I can feel it. It was amazing. Do not want, even though I'm very plugged up. I, I realized today, oh, I've been sick for the last week, and I just didn't notice. I assumed I was tired. Yeah. <laughs> And then my ears started popping as my sinuses drained this afternoon. Feels great. The mood to hit things. Mood to hit things. Go um, box with the sheriff. Go box with the ex-sheriff. That's a safe outlet. I'm going to go kill my uh, my ex-girlfriend's dad. Much better. Yeah. Oh, Arch. Oh, Arch. Like, just, just, like, black women don't give advice for free. <laughs> Like, well, respect her history, take her advice, move on. It's good advice, and it's better than whatever you're coming up with, Arch. Josie just saved you, dragged you out of your own deep mess, and told you what to do next. And carefully, like, politely, ha ha ha, hand wave ignored several very disturbing and worrying statements from you, Archie. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I... so so this is the other thing that I found interesting about this episode mm. is Hermione's character. I thought for a second like she was going more towards like like hard good, like mm. trying like paladin be, being being mi like misused by by Hiram and like maybe getting herself in the mayor's seat so that she can do some good. But evidently, I'm wrong. Right? Yeah. No, I I. Uh, and I was kind of expecting that from earlier in the season, that we were going to see real Mayor Hermione. Um, I'm actually so on board for this decision. It's the run towards trouble decision that makes things worse for Veronica and Hermione and makes them both m more interesting, higher status characters against Hiram. Yeah. Um, and I really like that shift in the dynamic as much as it's not good for either of these characters. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. See, this is like a really good idea, Hermione. Mm -hmm. Could you just take your daughter's advice? Maybe? No, you got to be greedy. And that's what it's... Jeez. You got greedy and screwed everything up because Veronica keeps trying to make the right moral choice despite her parents at every single step. Except when she, like, closes ranks and collects for her father while he's in his hospital bed. I think we're in a territory of relative morality at this point. That's true. <laughs> at this point, shaking down the construction crew is basically, like, moral status quo neutral, right? Anyway. Maybe that's just the, the ethics slide of the show yeah. itself <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> I, so, in this scene, for example... Mm -hmm. Penelope is like, she, like, like, I, what am I trying to get at here? Like, it's like a confused combination of like, like, trying Man. to aim at Eileen Warnos, but like failing mm. epically. You mean performance style? 
no, no, no. Um, like Eileen Warnos was that um was a, a sex worker actually who mm. murdered men. Oh, I'm um, not, not familiar who, with her story. Who had, uh, I mean, had pretty poorly treated her, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, uh, and but also like a self-made. There's a, a stereotype I notice in a lot of old American cinema that they seem mm. maybe are referencing here, like in East of Eden, mm-hmm. for example, of like the self-made brothel ma'am. Right. Well, so even... it's like kind of that, but mm-hmm. but they're still not letting her just be a complicated person. Her, she's still evil, even though she like kind of did a good thing getting rid of all these terrible men yeah she she feels in this moment as the audience it it, her choices feel very validated and Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed betty's moral wall cracking open once again against that yeah um especially with this comparison of betty's own actions Mm -hmm. um this was such a wonderful moral growth moment for betty for me um and i'm comfortable with penelope's character serving betty's um, as much as I want rich and diverse um, examples of and positive examples of sex work and sex workers on on screen, mm-hmm. they've gone too far to me with Penelope. I am invested in her as a rich antagonist and a rich villain. Mm. Um, I don't want her redeemed. She's not redeemable to me. I have no interest in that. But I love what she's doing as a villain. Yeah. Um, I think... And I, I want her to inhabit more world-building space because the the woman who worked for her, the, the dominatrix we met in the early scene, let's have more supporting characters. Let's world-build there. Yeah. Because to me, that's the that's the only hope for more um, positive sex work representation in what the show is set up. Yeah. And, like, there's so many... Here's Mark Consuelo's wife, Kelly Ripa. Right, right. Um, now that you say it, too, it's like even... I love, even <laughs> I, oh, man, I love the way he just tosses that egg. It's kind of delightful. It's very um, good negotiating. Yes. Um, I don't know if this is the show with who they've chosen to be the sex worker, someone who has, like, irredeemable qualities, like mm. sending her daughter to gay conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this show can now succeed in good representation of sex work Mm. because of who they've chosen to like they didn't let her be a complicated multifaceted person right or at least not in not in a way that we can ever sign back on to necessarily yep i agree i think that that boat may have sailed for what this show has chosen to be and has crystallized into i think that's a good a good observation yeah and then that's all just kind of done. And then Kelly Rip is gone. More lovely, moody typewriting. Yep. And that nice, close mm-hmm. shot. Deep depth of field. Yeah, and... This sort of surprised me. Me too, actually. They caught me off guard. I... Like, Hermione likes men like apparently Hermione does what Hermione wants yeah it's true and like all power to you Hermione your husband's a jerk yeah um please please cheat on him your husband is a bad man I wish she made better business choices 
that's my only complaint about Hermione in this episode, is that the drug sales thingy was, to my mind, a touch sloppy. Uh, especially when you immediately saw all the resistance from Veronica. Um, to me, Hermione dug the grave that she's end- ended up in at the end of this episode. Fair enough, I agree. Um, but I enjoyed how um, in the thick of it she was. Yeah. In in that plot, in the plot, this is kind of the promised Hermione from um, the boss on the cliff last season that I've been sort of waiting for. Yeah. And it's just about kind of the one year mark from that moment. So maybe we're gonna get one amazing moment with Hermione a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> one one episode at least. So I was expecting Archie to get shot mm. here by Minetta. Yeah. Uh, or for him to get framed for killing Hiram. I was just expecting a an increasingly absurd, like, Andy Sandberg sketch, um, what you say, series of people coming to murder Hiram. I was expecting Archie to have his dramatic moment and then hide in the corner while uh, FP had his dramatic moment and Minetta to show in and us to have a three-way standoff or something ridiculous. Um that speaks to maybe the expectations the show has set for me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so I called FP shooting Hiram because, like, who else would it be? Yeah, and I'm so here for FP in play. They've been hinting it, dropping it, showing this antsy middle-aged man trying to run with the kids again. Um, I'm actually here for this this type of decline for FP currently. <laughs> Sorry, I love Nikolai there. Oh, my. Someone must have made a grave mistake (laughs) i think he still does shakespeare after dark um if anyone's in vancouver um i nikolai are their doc the good doctor can very likely be seen in a number of uh instant theater productions um i don't believe he is staffing them anymore but i think that is to do all the more improv yeah um, I think Shakespeare After Dark is one of their flagship pieces. It's um, improvised Shakespeare plays uh, with lots of alcohol for the cast. Not Yeah, I've been to one. Mm. I've been to the one that was a fundraiser for Blankverse. Oh, yes. Many, Not Blank- many. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't Shakespeare After Dark. That no. was something altogether all else. But that's kind of how that goes, right? I, th- I think we probably stole a few format yeah, things at the time. But... Um, Shakespeare After Dark is monthly in Vancouver, so if any of y'all are local, it's, yeah. a, it's a lovely, lovely, lovely time. The, and so much, so much better done than that random event you saw. I gotta, okay. I gotta say, having enjoyed that, um, no, these are, these are professional improvisers who specialize in Shakespearean verse improv. Um, yeah. Well, you would have, we both worked with a few of those folks on uh, that immersive piece last year, right? Yeah. I'm rambling into way too niche theater local yeah. references now hi gang <laughs> what's hi, a riverdale gang. um i liked that scene between fp and uh cole Sp- um sorry uh skeet ulrich and mm. cole sprouse have pretty good chemistry i would say agreed 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 um they they continually oscillate between reminding me fp is dad and reminding me fp is like still a, a young dude in many ways yeah. a young guy who makes young angry gang man choices under pressure at times yeah so here we go here's archie is he gonna 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 once again trying so hard to make a bad decision 
Archie tries really, really hard to mess up his life sometimes. He's too moral. He is carefully, carefully saved from himself yet again by dumb luck timing. And then... What I don't understand is why... Well, I mean, I do understand why. Yeah, he's Archie. His instinct, even though he was there to murder the man, is to suddenly protect him. I actually really like that as an emotional beat for this character. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and a a bit of a like resolution of this beat of his trauma is that he's still Archie. For all for all of the critique and failing of this character, he is still um, seems to have fundamentally protective good instincts. Um, do you think Alice knows? Oh, Alice knows everything. I assume I assume Alice knows everything at this point and is just waiting to use it. Alice is another character who is um, in hard villain territory this season who I'm really enjoying it at every count. Um, I think Alice is redeemable still, but I enjoy that Alice is consistently acting against our our protagonists. Yes. Like aggressively giving away Benny Betty's college money for goodness sake. Yeah. I enjoyed watching Hermione deal with losing in this scene gracefully and quickly and uh, seeing the play of, of mask and veils between these three very, very smart characters with actually so much history now that we understand and are appreciating thanks to a lot of what's been set up this season. That we should be on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> It's a nice little quickie, quickie extortion move. Very smooth. Very smart. <laughs> Reggie's... That's the only reasonable <laughs> response to that. Damn. I'm also delighted by Reggie's competency and ability to just swoop in and take all the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Veronica has no issue just leaving him to do that on his own. How we didn't end up with Reggie floating face down in a river somewhere. We... <laughs> <laughs> speaks to Reggie's wonder, wonderful, quiet, behind-the-scenes competence that has also been building nicely this season. Reggie's all like, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm having man feelings. How is Reggie the perceptive emotive one now? That's, uh... <laughs> by process of elimination of least traumatized and least in need of healing and time and therapy. Reggie? Maybe? Well, his dad beats him up, remember? Oh, yeah. And he almost killed a guy once. Yes. But compared to literally anyone else, compared to Betty, he's good. Compared, yeah. to, compared to Jughead, <laughs> he's good. Compared to Archie, he's, he's fine. Compared to Veronica? It's true. And this is in no way to diminish, as, as well as the show itself did, with a throwaway line, child abuse or living in an abusive household situation. Absolutely not. But, um, but there is a scale of serial killer dad Hannibal Lecter visits that the show has established for us. At some point, maybe I could have. <laughs> like earlier tonight, for example. <laughs> 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 B- brief moments before I saved his life. I, <laughs> Just to, like, keep it consistent. I enjoyed this exchange, this post-breakup chat between these two characters. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed this modeling of mature of a mature breakup. 
Yeah. And we all know that, like, Reggie and Veronica are endgame, right? Like, in the comics? Like, that's canon, isn't it? Oh, I am not sold. No. Oh. I, I don't think they've ever settled on... Let's... I mean... It's it's the old Ginger Marianne debate. <laughs> they they kind of can't culturally settle it, can they? Like, I even when they did a big old Archie grows up and gets married plot arc, they did two of them. One for marrying Betty and one for marrying Veronica. Oh my god, did they really? They, 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 they seriously did. They told the entire life story of Archie with, as if the, that is the defining choice that will shape his life. I mean, who you marry is a pretty defining choice. Point, like... point. <laughs> Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps not in the way that the Archie comics present. It's uh, so do you think quite a real. I, I don't think Hiram is going to. I think Hiram is going to break this treaty first, but I think he's for real right now mm, yeah. because I think Hiram is aware of his vulnerability right now. Um, Hiram is probably very aware. Um, just like the rest of us are, that his yeah. um, his potential uh, enemies list includes his wife, includes everyone and anyone who could have or would have been working under him. Veronica is arguably the most loyal person to him in this moment. <laughs> and they've spent yeah. the entire season butting heads. Yeah. But also, Veronica seems to have learnt the most in his style. Hmm. Um, I don't how I feel about this guy's like prison conditions <laughs> sidebar yeah you know, I know that's he's a, a high, fair point I that's know he's like a high security evil murderer but like come now like it's kind of odd that he'd be sort of permanently in this singular glass cell um it's much more aesthetically pleasing for the show yes but like in real world settings, I don't think the privilege of this cavernous visiting room alone is something men and Max often get with their families. Like, I'm thinking a bit more in the Orange is the New Black setup of, like, plastic chairs yeah. with crying children and other family members yes. of about 30 people in one room. Um I think Archie think, shows a lot of balls just showing up in the speakeasy again. Yep, but what else is Archie? <laughs> balls <laughs> and some red hair. Uh, um, thoughts on Archie and Josie as perhaps chemistry? I don't, I don't think so. I hope. I hope not. I hope not. I sure hope Archie doesn't continue his pattern of. Um, presumably becoming smitten with these talented women who save his butt. Yeah. Also, I liked Josie and Sweepy. Can we have that back? That oh, yes. Yes, you're right. I loved this visual contrast. I loved Hermione's and Veronica's co costuming and contrast here mm -hmm. and how this tied neatly together. Um, this was a bad business move on Hermione's part, I think, but I'm here for it with the tension it gives us. Um... I liked the stakes across the board in this episode. Um, I'm just so sold in that these are strange adult children now who are just functionally at, uh, functioning as adults, and we're going to hand away of any logic we need to to tell the most intense and interesting story. I'm there for it at this point. Yeah. I feel like I have to constantly restate that for myself as well as y'all, gang. 
<laughs> it's so over the top. But this was truly an enjoyable episode for me. I like this coat Hermione's wearing. Actually, I like the coat he's wearing. Oh, yeah. He was in good coats. Reggie was in a good coat earlier. Veronica was in that good floor-length coat. They they complement each other so well. Their 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 foil relationship this episode was so yeah. satisfying. So it, why does she touch his collar? Does she bug him? I don't know. I so, I wasn't like, sure deliberate. how to read that. Yeah. Uh yeah, oh. So you think she might have planted a a, a tracker or yeah. a mic? I think she bugged him. I was reading more of an emotional beat, um, and my first read was a little bit, a hint of motherliness. Hmm. Um, I think she chooses Jughead's life and FP's life. Um, and I, I am interested in the um, sort of the subtext of Hermione's decision-making in that. She throws away a loyal capo um, to hmm. save Jughead and FP. Yeah. She makes that calculation. And I'm interested in where that comes from. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it also, I mean, it, it's revealing of what she, um, what her actual opinion or relationship of Jughead is. Um, I, I, I think I saw, seeing them as equals this episode, hmm. um, like, she acknowledges him, but also talks down to him a bit. But they really did go head-to-head. Yeah. I'm, I think she bugged him. And that would make perfect sense. Yeah. Also, we then next immediately talk about it. It would be very interesting for her to then hear Veronica in his conversation in the next scene. It, um. Uh, I mean, here we go. Here's another woman doing what's best in the face of patriarchy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm I'm also so here for her performance this episode. I thought it was so um, vibrant and uh, deeply into into femme fatale tropes and territory, but confidently holding the the linchpin, the kingpin, the mob, the mob top position. Um, I really liked it. Yeah. I thought that actress did spectacular things with what was given to her this episode. Yeah. I liked this ending scene. Yeah. I'm in, I'm enjoying these um, more worn down, pragmatic choices that our characters are making in the face of 1920s prohibition. Apparently, it's what the aesthetics are giving me yeah. as their zeitgeist. Oh, I'm the tired femme fatale. Yeah, it's Riverdale. Being tough, leaving. And sort of lowering your expectations. Yeah. A little bit more. Well, that hmm. was an interesting episode. I feel like we're back in the genre playland. Yeah. Um, this was a very clean genre play to me. I thought they chose... <laughs> Very good notes to um, to cue us into what we're doing. Um, it felt consistent. I felt like the genre served the plot and story that need to be told in this episodic. Um, arguably better than many of our genre journeys have. Yeah. Um, 
um, yeah, it, it didn't try to be too many genres at once, this episode. Mm, yeah, instead of dividing by sort of character arc, as we did somewhat in the first season, leading, I think leading us to being pulled in several directions sometimes, um, putting almost in this bottle episode way, where I think this show really excels, like last year's post-Halloween episode, yeah. I, as I always, always lean back into, um, weaving these four threads narratives together with great balance, with great pacing, um, with very well carefully handled um, stakes. Very, um, I Every character felt like they had uh, a deep investment in motivation in this episode. Everyone was very driven from a fe- fresh place that served what they were doing right now. Hmm. Um, I think I now I'm cataloging through people, but that's the the the, the general vibe I got from everyone's arc this episode. Yeah, um, I feel that episodic, but carefully tied to um, well considered character arc beats. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I keep being silent is because I keep noodling over um. Uh, the noir genre in my head and seeing if I can come up with any more hmm. like interesting parallels but nothing's really popping to mind hmm. often in noir there's like a, an object that has to be found or destroyed you know papers that need destroying or right Maltese Falcon or something yeah it's um my my most in-depth experience with noir was actually doing a noir long form improv years ago oh, so like wow. a, a one um it was a bit of an experiment at the time um a troop i was with was uh we were testing out some long form formats after mostly playing uh short sto- short form games and uh structure so we we did a few rehearsals a few test runs and then committed to okay we're, we're doing a one hour show and it's a single long form piece and this was i think my second time performing a long form play a uh, long form Im- improv scene um, and we went with a noir theme, um, and the, uh, the director of the scene, as I was walking on stage for my, f- whatever first entrance, we just, it's improv, we built it as we went, yeah. he whispered something into my ear, and I missed it, and he was telling me that I was meant to be the, 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 the villain, oh. I was supposed to do oh it, my God. whatever it was gonna be, and I didn't hear him. And I didn't, oh I didn't clock that this was important because I caught several <laughs> other cues from his whisper. And then I went on and took the femme fatale role um, in, that, in that scene because that's, you know what? My same partner took the detective and this is how we got to start the show. And then I was playing my, my character as a red herring for five scenes. Oh my God. I sauntered in and dropped red herring clues intentionally pulling the detective in the wrong way whatever you know even knowing there's no right or wrong way we're making it up um until three quarters of the way through the director while we're both watching a scene asks how i'm gonna tie it all together oh my god that's so great i don't remember how it worked we brought it all in but i'm pretty sure i was i like it was like a triple triple reveal or something <laughs> like i believe one of my one of our other performers um was like trying to set up again none of us knew 
or we're meant to know who done it. Right. Um, we have since done away with that actor tension. That is unnecessary. <laughs> So but um, it was a scene of all of us knowing it was time and we got to end it in this scene. And every, I think several other actors having realized there doesn't seem to be a villain. <laughs> and me having just been told, well, no, you're the villain, so make it make sense. Uh, there was several fake out offers and possibly a Megazord or something because improv. I don't remember. There was definitely <laughs> something larger than life scale. But anyway, that's my experience with noir. Wow. That's a fabulous anecdote, and I think we should go out on that anecdote. Oh, we'll see you next week, Riverdale gang, for another dose of the Dark Sugar Trash. By the way, it's been circling the internet, so we may as well mention it on the podcast. They're going to be doing Heather's the Musical. They sure are. Um, I got a, a, a text out of the blue the other day from an acquaintance who, you know, knows what I do with podcasts um, and happened to be on set for a day, day call, uh, in a role. Uh, in some capacity. And this text essentially said, this being a person who does not actually follow the show, so why are Jughead and Betty dancing to Heathers in a meth lab? (laughs) So I'm sure looking forward to that, gang. (laughs) Amazing. All right. Here's to that. See you next week. Till then. Ta-ta.